Welcome to the RSP cast. And as always, on every other Tuesday night, I get the pleasure of having to speak with Felix Sharp with Campus to Canton at Sharp Review on Twitter. Felix, happy early birthday to you. Oh, I appreciate it, Matt. Um, we're in the part of the season. Well, actually, any part of in season, we get so much information. And uh, even just picking a few topics to talk to you about today is just a pleasure. So I appreciate it. Thank you for welcoming, welcoming me back into your home. Oh, man. Well, it's I, I know it's everyone's pleasure to get a chance to to hear these conversations. And we're going to talk about quarterbacks some more on the college level. Um, guys like DJ Ungalele. Ungalele. Yes. OK. Ungalele. There we go. All right. And we'll talk a little bit about Tyler Van Dyke's benching, maybe not necessarily from the, the field standpoint, but maybe from the coaching standpoint. Anthony Richardson, a little update about him, Michael Penix Jr. And we'll mm. talk a little bit about what we look for and the differences between scouting players more on the Debbie scene who are entering the college level and growing on the college level and guys who are now established on the college level and going to the NFL level, the differences with that. Um, and we're going to touch on uh, Justin Fields, what's going on with him you know what you know i know a lot of people have been touching on that but i i know that we'd like to share our thoughts with that as well so let's get started um with a conversation about these quarterbacks let's start off with the clemson kid i mean what's you know what's what are some of your notes of what you've seen with them thus far this season i know that he started off really high last year was a was a low for him thus far in his college career where, where are you stand with him right now yeah, so, you, you know, you know, I'm a lawyer, so I got to lay a foundation for the conversation. And I know your <laughs> audience may not have, have heard of DJU or DJ Uyunglele, but he's at Clemson, was a highly rated five-star recruit um, coming in after Trevor Lawrence. And, of course, Clemson just produced Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, um, a top 25 quarterback recruit of all time. So higher than guys like Josh Rosen, Tim Tebow, Davis Mills, who I know you liked, uh, Jameis Winston, Tyrod Taylor, uh, higher ranked in the recruiting services than those guys. Been described by 24-7, which is the main high yeah. school recruiting uh, database and website as a generational, generational as far as arm strength, arm talent. Jamarcus Russell is the comp because he is, you know, six four, six, five, 240 pounds, kind of um, doesn't move that well, uh, a pocket passer, but but very, very strong arm. And so, you know, so he was already highly rated. And then he came in in 2020, and his first game starting for an injury, or Trevor Lawrence got COVID during that pandemic-shortened season. It was the day they were playing Notre Dame, undefeated team. They're playing for a playoff spot, but it was also the day that Joe Biden accepted the presidency. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> because remember, there was the delay with the vote there in yeah, 2020, right. and so I remember they cut from uh, NBC and I had to watch the game somewhere else. In any regard, he played very good in that game with uh, with uh, Powell and and Rogers as his wide receivers, and so we kind of thought that. And then he, I think he played two games in 2020, and then he um, uh, uh, didn't play after Trevor Lawrence came back. But we saw – I mean, he played well. He, we saw flashes, and we thought that this guy was going to be the next thing at the quarterback position. Right there with Bryce Young. Bryce Young has kind of elevated his profile, and we thought that DJ Uyunglele uh, would too because they're in the same same class. Steve Sarkeesian recruited and offered uh, uh, DJU at, when he was the offensive coordinator – there at Alabama. So 
2020 just didn't in 2021, you know, his first season as full-time starter, it just wasn't there for him. And just, this is a, uh, you know, a kid who looked, didn't look confident, um, didn't look like he was, you know, had any trust in his wide receivers. And it was a really a p- poor season statistically and, you know, overall, um, and he hasn't started out great this year. Before Saturday, five touchdowns, one interception, completed less than 60% of his passes in two of three games. His offensive grade, according to PFF, went down in his second season from uh, 71.1 to 63.6 this, uh, in 2021. And so he, he was starting um, the 2022 season, this season, again shaky. They started against Georgia Tech. And, Matt, you know that the first, like, 15 or so plays are scripted. Scripted plays where we're going to come out here. This is what we're going to run to get established. Well, you watch Georgia Tech and with Jeff Collins. First play, they go play action, deep shot, uh, uh, you know, a pass that was intercepted, but still showing confidence in their quarterback. With DJU, a player who is not a running quarterback, they're running all these QB runs, you know, screens behind the line. of This generational arm talent pocket passer, I'm like, whoa. So it looks like the coaches – um, we're not having a lot of confidence in him. Anyway, that gets us to this uh, past Saturday where he had his his best statistical game of the season. And I was interested to go watch this game because, you know, from a box score perspective, I think he had like five touchdowns against Wake Forest. Wake Forest is a very good offense, so it's no surprise that that was a shootout. And I wanted to see if we saw any, any progress I think specifically in his confidence, and what I mean by that is, is, is um, he's a player who who double clutches every throw. Oh boy, double he double clutches every throw. I mean, he does the shoulder shake, and then he breaks the egg, and breaks the egg, and then and then throws it because he's just so hesitant. Um, Tell us about breaking the egg because I know what that means, but there some of our yeah, audience yeah, yeah, may yeah. not. So explain breaking the egg. So, so you know, your quarterback is that is in the backfield with the ball in his hands, and uh, as he get, releases and gets ready to throw, he cracks the egg, and he's bringing that ball back to throw. It should just be one smooth movement, but you see quarterbacks who are hesitating break the egg once, then bring the hands back together, and then do it again or multiple times. Or you'll see them do the shoulder fake, and it's not really a pump fake. It's just hesitation. Yes. Um, it's kind so, of the it's kind of the upper body manifestation of taking an extra hitch or an extra step. Yes. Or, yes. or waiting an extra beat that you shouldn't. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And time, I mean at the quarterback position time is everything. So you and you want to make you want to do things confidently and in um uh and, I mean you got to make quick decisions. So I watched this game think you know hoping that I was going to be impressed given the numbers that he put he put up but I still see the the same kind of mechanical issues I think his base mechanics he is 50% baseball player 50% football player he, he has a uh I mean I pitched too like he 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 leans on his front foot a, a lot he transfers his weight from from uh his back foot to his front foot very much like a baseball player kind of has a loopy wind up and the double cracking of the egg, that's still there on way too many throws. So, um, yeah, I mean, 
every once in a while. And he's uh, he's he's terrible off platform. You know, we've got oh, we've got you know, Zach. I loved Zach Wilson because of how athletic he was, and he would get and he would go roll out and yeah. you know and make these throws downfield. PJU's not very good uh, uh, off platform, and to be honest, it's things that you know. I played quarterback three years in high school. Went to Michigan football camp as a quarterback. These are these, these are things that you know. I was just taught when you roll to your left, you if you're a right-handed quarterback, you point your left shoulder towards your target, and then your fundamentals stay the same even when you are uh, rolling to to your uh, uh, opposite throwing throwing side. And those things just aren't there. Like his feet look again like a baseball player, and um, so. Statistically, put up, he had a, a good performance. He had a, a few flash throws, but if I'm in a campus to Canton League and I took DJ Uyunglele high, which you had to do in C2Cs, I would use this as an opportunity to 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 try to get something back. I mean, somebody might be looking and saying, "Hey, he had this great performance. He's back now. He's he's uh, he's got Bo Collins. He's got Antonio Williams. Two very." highly rated wide receivers he's going to be throwing the ball all over the place i just don't i don't i don't see the upside with him i think that the the flaws are still there um with, with this with this kid even though they're clemson is undefeated they got a big test this week against nc state i still see the same issues um with uh with, with his game and so to me the performance is a little bit of fool's gold now what if you're in what if you're in a league where you're co-GMs are pretty savvy and they're saying, well, I'll take a chance on them, but I'm not paying the freight that you paid for it. Are you still willing to try and get what you can out of it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm, even, I'm answering that question even like I, just between you and I. Don't tell anyone else. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I am. I am. That is, I am absolutely. I'm stealing. I am, stealing, I am stealing that. I am stealing that on every podcast. I'm like, oh, just between you and I. Yes, I am moving off of him. And, and the way C2Cs work, Matt, is uh, you have a freshman draft every single year um, and you you draft the incoming incoming freshman class. So this year, you know, Nick Singleton uh, at Penn State, who's kind of ripping it up as a true freshman, um, uh, Luther Burden, who's there at, at Missouri, uh, um, uh, <laughs> um he, he was a you know a high draft pick. Those are those are the, the that's the class that you draft. Your NFL draft picks aren't really um, worth as much because all of the, the draft eligible players are already selected. So I'm saying, you yeah. know, in the C2C, if I've got DJU, I'll I'll take a second or a third, <laughs> but I don't have to get a I don't have to get a first round pick. But I'm moving I'm moving off. So so are, are we? Where are we on Anthony Richardson at this point after his game against Tennessee? What I I didn't get to catch it yet, so I want to know where what's the yes. what's the four on one on him? And being listen, I know that I've I've been on here. This is now my third time. We've talked about Anthony Richardson every single time, but he is a hot button issue, and I cannot keep my hand away from the stove with <laughs> Anthony Richardson because he is so polarizing and he's been so volatile up until this point. Played Tennessee on the road. Tennessee, very good offense there with Josh Heupel. Matt, you probably remember watching Josh Heupel at Oklahoma. As I a do. <laughs> That's what's crazy. Like I'm like Ken when I'm watching Ken Dorsey versus the Bills. I'm like, 
people are going to remember Ken Dorsey as an offensive coordinator for the Bills. That is crazy. I know. One yeah. of the best Miami teams ever. That is exactly, crazy. exactly. Larry Coker, baby. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So, um, no, with Anthony Richardson, man, I was upset after week what three with their co- coach Billy Napier. When you're when you have a quarterback who is that athletic, you have to be intentional intentional about getting him involved in the run game. So I'm talking about. I'd be running quarterback power so much, quarterback sweep so much, uh, RPO actions even when I'm passing, something where I'm having a mesh action with the running back. And in week three, um, he was Billy Napier was not using Anthony Richardson in the run game that way. I don't understand that. Like any of Anthony Richardson's runs were scrambles, and it just shouldn't it shouldn't be that way. Um, and the the question that I had about him coming into the season was would Napier with the current head coach who came from Louisiana, um, Elijah Mitchell, uh, Trey Regis, he was their coaches. Would he be able to design these creative runs and passes around Anthony Richardson's strengths? Dan Mullen, the former head coach there at Florida was excellent at that. You would see Anthony Richardson dive his head into the back of the line of scrimmage and then back up and some running back who was on or wide receiver who was on a, a pre-motion or pre-snap jets, jet motion was like running down the sideline open because they just lost, lost track of him. And Dan Mullen coached yeah. Dak, didn't he? I, Dak and, uh, and, Ky- and Kyle Trask. That's true. But yeah, yeah well, yeah. hey, yeah. still. Yes, but got, got him drafted, what, in the second round? Yeah. So, but he's just a very creative play designer. And and Billy Napier has been kind of vanilla. So I was worried about that coming into the season and kind of manifested himself. He's, he hasn't been creative. He did in this last game against Tennessee, which was Anthony Richardson's best game of the season, um, incorporate him intentionally into the, into the running game, not just relying on Anthony Richardson going through his progressions, not seeing anything open and then taking off. Uh, but – Excuse me. I just for a player, this is his first. This is his fourth game as a starter. I think it's important when you have that much athletic ability to use the athletic ability as the mental part of the game catches up. Yeah. And and you know I, th- that in the the coaching staff, the play calling has been a little shaky on that front up until this point, but. Man, he has, and I know if he declares, I know you're going to break him down. But he has flashes. He has fla- he has flashes when he makes good decisions. The, one of the last times I was on uh, uh, your show, I talked about how he needs to work on those touch passes. Those passes when you've got press man on fourth and one, and you can th- throw it right over uh, uh, the cornerback for a, a first down. We saw three or four of those types of throws in this game against Tennessee. You know, pocket passing, finding someone with touch down the field over a linebacker in front of a safety, those types of throws. So it's, it's encouraging. He just needs, he just needs more. He just needs more reps. Look, I know my favorite player, one of my favorite players to watch um, and to track. And so. But it makes I'm, sense. It yeah. makes sense. If you don't mind me interrupting this is it, it makes sense why he is your because he is compelling that way. And let's, before we go on to like talk about the other two quarterbacks in college, let this is a good segue, I think, into Justin Fields a bit 
just from the standpoint that when you look at Justin Fields, you you know, top prospect coming out at UGA, you know, um, it just turns out that, you know, they they opted to go with Jake Fromm at that point with the momentum that they had. And then Fields goes to Ohio State, blows up at Ohio State. And but when you watched him, I remember, you know, I wrote I I had somebody ask me, are you going to do something on Justin Fields now that the Bears are struggling uh, from a passing standpoint? I'd be curious to know what you think. So, you know, you're going to have Mark Schofield on your show tomorrow. And Mark Schofield already did something on SB Nation about him. And I read a little bit of that and I just kind of chuckled because I went back and looked at something that I wrote up on my site about it as well. And Mark's column is, you know, he's having trust issues. And the trust issues are not that he doesn't trust his wide receivers, though that may be part of it too, because they're not exactly top, top guys um, from an NFL standard. But it's about trusting that they're open and letting the ball go when they should be. And that's exactly where I was with Justin Fields, where I said, Justin Fields needs the Josh Allen plan. And and I kind of wrote it in a way of saying, listen, you know, Josh, it's not that they're the same player stylistically, though there's some similarities there. They're both very, there's, they have strong arms. They have, they have a lot of good mobility. They can certainly create, you know, in and outside the pocket with their legs. Um, but, and they also can attack downfield really well um, when they're on. But what I saw repeatedly with jo Justin Fields that concerned me was that he had a slow processor. And I think a lot of people, this is, we're in a time and where, you know, quarterbacks, especially over the past 40, 50 years, and it's just starting to get to the point in the past 10 where, where we're literally starting to, you know, look at people sideways when they say that black quarterbacks don't have the mental aptitude to play the position. We still see echoes of that in code language or in language that you, whether you call it code and intentional or it's unintentional, but it's still like, there's still something underneath <laughs> that, that surface yeah. there. There's lots of ranges of where you could go with that, that are probably true, depending on the person who's saying it. And we don't know, unless we do psychotherapy on that person, we have no idea. So, but the point being is that now we're at a point where that's not the norm. But so when when Justin Fields got talked about and people started to to criticize him, when you criticize without nuance, it can easily look like he's not smart enough. Justin Fields is plenty smart enough to be a very good NFL quarterback. But and I think the point that's important when you say that someone has a slow processor is to understand that Alex Smith probably regarded over the past 30, 40 years as one of the smartest quarterbacks to enter the NFL had a slow processor, even to the end of his career when he was a Pro Bowl caliber producer with the Chiefs late in his career. He had a slow process. Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, you know, if you <laughs> take about the stereotype <laughs> of what a smart quarterback is because he went to an Ivy League school, had a slow processor in certain moments that killed him from being able to be anything more than a journeyman starter who would get into on a game. And if he had enough surrounding talent, he could light it up for three yep. or four weeks. And then he would like kill you for three or four weeks. Yep. And yep. that's where fields was same with Josh Allen. Josh Allen has a slow processor at times. And what you have to understand about that is it's the, as you described very well with J DJ, 
Uongalele. I think I got it close. I was, yeah, but but it's that difference between identification to action. And when you hesitate in key yeah. moments, those three or four plays make a difference for you. And where I think, from my perspective, Felix, I feel from what I've seen with him is that the Bears aren't doing him a lot of favors right now because a lot of the routes that at least I'm seeing are vertical routes that break to the boundary or break back to the quarterback. And those are routes where you have to hit it right away. When you have a route like that, you have to anticipate and and act immediately. You cannot hesitate or the defender recovers. Whereas with Josh Allen, when we watched his development, when um, Dable got in there, lots of crossing routes at various mm. levels. And those crossing mm -hmm. routes give you multiple windows, windows. to hit, yep. the, hit the receiver. So if you miss the first window, that's okay. There's two or three other receivers yep. Who are going to give you two to three more windows, if not the same receiver you were looking at? If you've got to buy a little more time, you might still have between the middle of the field and the flat to hit him if you buy some time. And that get and that kind of says we're going to help you out. We're not going to demand yeah. you to be Matt Ryan at his at his um, peak where he could like hit Roddy White on a third and seventeen out in double coverage because. He was so automatic with hitting it. Even if he didn't have a great arm, he could do that with that anticipation and that quick um, identification to action. Or Mahomes could do that now, or a lot of players who who have that skill. But then, as as um, Allen got more got more confidence, they could incorporate more of the routes that he wasn't as skilled at before, and because he's got more confidence in his game and knows what to see and what not to see. I think that we're not seeing enough of that with Justin Fields. And as a result, he's asked to do what he's not particularly strong at. And then then what you see is hit or miss where you're going to see these great plays where he breaks contain and he throws it across his body to a wide open player in the opposite flat. But that's a play that happens once or twice a year. That's not a play that... You, you know, you want him to be able to hit plays 6.5 to 7 times out of 10. And that's a play that's going to happen one out of every 50 opportunities that you're even going to have an opportunity like that. And you may hit one of them all year. That that may be great, but that doesn't win ball games. So that's my concern is like when you look at a guy like Richardson um, and see the way you described it, it just reminds me a lot of fields because it's like, Give these guys understand who they are, and mm -hmm. and give them. Lamar Jackson had it great that way because they understood who he was. Mm -hmm. They said, you know, we know you can throw in the middle of the field. We know you're great in the pocket. Use your legs to set up what else you do because if you're not good at the vertical route, the the vertical routes with lots of velocity, well, let's use your legs to stretch the field that way, and then enforce that to set up middle of the field throws. There's ways to do this. That don't have to be, you have to be the everything quarterback right away. Make the, you know, just like we don't ask Tom Brady to run quarterback draw or to, right, to, right. to run read, to, to run zone reads or, you know, we ask or RPOs in, in that fashion. We don't ask him to do that. We manage to his strengths. People need to understand that running the ball isn't a weakness. 
it's a strength that you have to learn to leverage. And I think if they yes. do that, Richardson could be well on his path. Fields could get back on that path. But right now, that's why they're polarizing because their offenses are like putting an anchor around their waist. I love you thinking of the Bills, how they developed a plan for Josh Allen. They brought in Emmanuel Sanders. They brought in Stephon Diggs. You mentioned um, Brian Fitzpatrick. His best season was there with the Jets, who they have Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall. So if you're a slow processor, I mean, those two guys can give you a ton of confidence. What have the Bears done? With uh, with with Justin Fields, who who has the same, it's it's funny when your favorite evaluators all say the same thing about a player because yourself and Mark Schofield, but also uh, Jordan Reed for well, who's yeah, the, the draft network, the draft what network at the at the time when Justin Fields was in college. Now with ESPN, he called Justin Fields a perfectionist, essentially saying that he's kind of robotic in the way that he goes through his his, his progressions and and um, is not necessarily instinctive. So I mean. You all are saying saying all the same things, but for some reason, the Bears haven't um, caught it. Haven't caught it, and it's unfortunate. I, I, all of these examples, the Ravens, with having a two, like a tight end, a fullback, and a running back in the backfield, some way still find a way to get deep shots. Why? Because they've run the ball so much that you got to bring eight in the box to stop it. And up, oh, all of a sudden, we're going to get speed guys out on the out on the outside who are going to take advantage of one on ones. You know, it's just they're just super intentional. Like you said, um, running the ball is not a weakness or whatever your quarterback's strengths and weaknesses are playing right. to those playing to those. So. Yeah, it's just I think part of it is, is that people are slow to change and they have one biased view of what a good quarterback mm -hmm. plays like. And yeah. then they see it as a. Well, he's got this great strength, but he can't do this. And they get so focused on what he can't do to try and make him do it as opposed to going, well, you know, th these things he can't do very well, but that's okay. I mean, there are certain things Peyton Manning didn't do very well. There are certain things that Tom Brady doesn't do very well. So you try and work to that advantage with what they what they have. And, and uh, that's why I always laughed about Russell Wilson. And yeah, he's not having a good start to the year because of things going on. But it makes me laugh because it's like the Seahawks fans just nitpicked him to death towards the end. And part of that is the jilted lover who like felt like, well, he doesn't want to be with us anymore. And he's taking the high road even when he's doing it. But we, you know, it's kind of like, well, he has to have his own offense for how he does things. And he's the problem. And he's buying too much time in the pocket. And they're not seeing it from the, you know, when there's, Arguments that I would say is, well, the, the pockets never really created a lot of time for him other than maybe a year or two at the height of their, their career in Seattle. He's often had to buy more time. And when you look at his game in Denver, I mean, the same things I'm seeing is that he's hitting receivers. They've dropping a lot of passes. He's creating a lot of DP, drawn a lot of defensive pass interference penalties, uncatchable footballs. He's had multiple touchdown opportunities dropped, you know, passes in the end zone dropped. So he's doing what he needs to do. It's a matter of the team getting acclimated. But these are things and, and that happen. Regarding Russell Wilson, haven't we seen him have poor starts to the season and seasons past? Like, when are we going to learn with, with Russ? I mean, we've yeah. seen this before. All the time. All the time. He's a slow – whatever team he's with is a slow starting team. And part of that probably is is that he is a bit of a – he's a bit of an improvisational guy. He also puts the ball – in such an 
I think he puts the ball in such an unerring or like eerie spot in some difficult situations that it's got it's got to be hard sometimes. If you're a tight end who rarely gets gets targets and like mm-hmm. you're Tomlinson who's been a blocker all your life basically and you get like mm-hmm. you get little flat routes for one and three yards like every three games okay and now you're like running a route to the to the sideline tightly covered and the ball arrives like in arm's reach of you and bounces off your hands with the defender doing this how many times have you had that happen in game situations for you? You're not like Cortland Sutton where that's happening. You're dealing with that like every game. You've been in the league for six or seven years now, and that I guarantee you that was the first time he's seen a pass like that in seven years. I don't care whether you yeah. could do that in practice. You're not used to that. And I think that's the human element people forget is like these guys, mm-hmm. you know, if you could say, well, back in my day, I actually am a pretty good receiver if they let me do it and then they suddenly let you do it and you're like i've got a little rust here like i haven't i'm not used to what it's like to be in that situation and i think there's a there's a number of situations like that that russell wilson paints the corners like that and and delivers a ball where some of these players just they weren't expected to do it now they're doing it and they they can't and and seattle you can see that there were seattle tight ends all all day where they go like four or five games and nothing. And then they'll have like three or four really big plays. It's usually some Stanford tight end. Who's like tests really well, but doesn't really run all as well as he's tests. You know, that the, the, the Colby Parkinson is like the latest on the list, but you know what I'm talking about. Nick, Nick Vanett. Yeah. Nick Vanett. Yeah. <laughs> Another one. Yeah. Exactly. You know, but yeah, guys like that. So I, I, I thought that was a good place to talk about that, but let's, Speaking of like structure, I'm just curious because I was looking forward to watching Tyler Van Dyke as a former um, matriculate of the U way back in the day. I always, I always kind of, if I am a college football fan, if I were a college football fan, I would still probably root for the Hurricanes a bit just because I'm my history steeped in that. But he seemed like everyone's favorite to be talking about in the same way that the, kind of the undercover player everyone was talking about last heading into last year was JT Daniels, um, which I think we're going to touch mm-hmm. on him a little bit later too. But what's going on? Tyler Van Dyke got benched. What was your concerns about like his coaching staff or the, the yeah. you know, the staff there and that, that even though, you know, maybe you haven't seen the game yet to study Van Dyke specifically, what's going on there that, kinds of has you maybe going i'm not surprised or that explains some things well there's just a stark contrast between what tyler van dyke had last year between rhett lashley who comes from the sunny dyke system which is very like wide open uh deep ball throwing and, and also so that's rhett lashley was the offensive coordinator at miami last year and uh Tyler Van Dyke coming out of Connecticut, that was his game, was like being an aggressive downfield passer. So that was a match. But they also had Charleston Rambo and Mike Carley. What Charleston Rambo is what with the like the the Panthers, Panthers or something now. The Panthers yeah. or something now. Yeah. So he's an, an NFL an NFL player. Um, but you bring in Mario Cristobal, who is really defensive minded. I think he himself was a offensive lineman uh, when he played. Okay, that's fine. They tried to bring in. They tried to bring in. Oh, I forget the 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 guy who was the uh, he was the offensive coordinator for the for the Panthers in the 2019 uh, LSU Tigers. His name is yeah, escaping my. I know you're talking Canada. 
No, not, not Canada. Canada. I know you're talking I'll, about I'll, though. Yeah. I'll, th- I'll think about it here. Yeah. People are probably screaming into the. Um, but anyway, they Miami considered bringing him in. It looks like they didn't offer him, and they ended up. Josh Gaddis is the uh, offensive coordinator now. He was the offensive coordinator at Michigan last year. Michigan runs totally, totally different offense. Two tight ends, fullback. They're still running student body right, student body left. Uh, they're under Jim Harbaugh, and so. And, you know, I consider their play calling to be a little bit more con- conservative, um, kind of uh, uh, not as a, definitely not as aggressive as uh, Rhett Lashley's offense. And so you got those two guys who they are probably a defensive head coach and an offensive coordinator who comes from a ground and pound system playing with a quarterback who likes to chuck it, who chucked it with, with two, two NFL wide receivers last year. And so those were my concerns with regard to the match uh, and the fact that, I mean, they didn't, they didn't pick Tyler Van Dyke as good as a season as he had last year. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't recruit him. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't recruit. They're a new, they're a new coaching staff. I mean, you talk about the human element. Just imagine if you got a new boss at your company, Yeah, you, you know, and, and coming to t- take over, you know, and, and how would you mess with, with them? So, and obviously they weren't satisfied with what UM was yeah. doing. So for them, they've yeah. got carte blanche. Yeah. So he was so he was benched on Saturday in favor of Jeff Garcia, who was a highly touted quarterback recruit in and of his own right. I haven't not watched the game yet, but I want to see if they're still running the shotgun deep stuff. And not only that, but there's no there there's not nearly as talented a wide receiver core in Miami this year as there was last year. I mean, and, and that wide receiver core isn't talented. And then they lost a key piece of it in slot receiver Xavier Estrepo. So. Is it the play calling? Is it the personnel? Like, what is it that Tyler Van Dyke um, it was missing? How, I don't know how he was one of the best quarterbacks in the country last year. How is he? How is he benched? Those are the things I'm going to look for, you know, later this week when I go and watch that game. But the, but Josh Gaddis being the offensive coordinator and as boring as Michigan's offense always is, um, uh, it, I, that was a concern of mine. So I'm going to see if if that concern is realized in the benching of of tyler of tyler van dyke very interesting that's cool stuff i mean to to think about in terms of you know you know with those fits and i think it's understandable and and that's why i think players get lost in the cracks sometimes who are can be good players can be great fits somewhere else and people say well they didn't have a good college career but then they end up being good in the nfl and you say well that's the exception. And it can be the exception based on basically what the odds are of them getting opportunities. But they still can be good. It can be due to the fact that a team just takes over and says, doesn't fit what we do, not really what we want. We're going to find somebody else who is our guy, and then they have to go somewhere else. And then they're seen as, well, they had to change schools. And then that exactly. well, there, there are all these there are all these ripple effects with these with decisions and performances that have huge impacts on these players before they get to the NFL. Look at the recent history. Joe Burrow, where did he start at Ohio State? Uh, Justin Fields, even even last year with Jamison Williams, if Jamison Williams had not transferred from Ohio State late in 2021 to Alabama, Nobody, you wouldn't even know who he was. Yeah. He ends up being what the the 12th overall pick in the draft. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's one of the things that I actually love about, you know, the, the, the college game in prospecting and following these players' trajectories is tracking those ripple effects and what effect 
it has on that player's journey. It's it's no it's really no small thing. It's no small thing. Well, let's let's talk before we get to our last quarterback. Let's let's talk a little bit about the differences between scouting, you know, developing young college players and pro prospects. Because a good example, I mean, one of my first experiences in the Debbie League is. You know, I, I'm in a Debbie league right now, and let me see if I can look it up because I'll just give you an idea of some of the players on my roster. I've won a championship in the. This is a this is a different kind of league though, Felix. Where it's um, we the players that are on our roster, um, after like Kyle Posey's in this league, Ryan Riddle's in this league. Our, our players get five years in the NFL, and once they've passed their fifth year. And I think it's only like some of them only get five. Most of them get four. They're no longer allowed on any roster. Um, so you only get, and then you have a Debbie draft and a rookie draft. And the Debbie draft is basically one, one freshman, one sophomore, one junior, one senior. And then the guys who didn't get picked from that draft each year go into the draft pool for the rookie draft the following year. So, you know, to give you an example, I had, you know, my winning team had had guys like, Mahomes and Cup and and Kamara on it and you know things like and and players like that guys who are still who I've actually guys who I've drafted recently include you know Jefferson um let's see who else who I Devin Duvernay Jerry Judy um you know we've got IDP players but like I picked back in the day as my my freshman I picked JT Daniels because I didn't, one, I'd never see him. I don't have time to look. Um, what I looked for was who's a guy who's a top-rated prospect coming out. And I didn't have my chance at guys like, I don't think Bryce Young was, that was a year later. But, like, I had, I you know, I looked at Daniels and I thought, okay, he's, can, I looked at, like, Lindy's. I saw what they had rated him. And they talked about him being a top prospect, came from a top program, you know, there was a lot, you know, high school wise things that I liked. And then I got to see him for the first time late in, you know, late <laughs> in his sophomore year against, you know, with Georgia. And I'm like, okay, aggressive. I like that. Seems to be pretty good in the pocket. Seems to have decent placement on the ball, but the arm is suspect. I'd like to believe it's not, but the arm isn't like quite that great. Um, you know, so when I look at guys like that, you know, there seems to be, there's that difference between for me, and I want you to comment on anything else, but it's like, I've kind of learned over the years that guys who are top college recruits heading from high school, a lot of them tend to have their man body early and their, their adult level athletic ability early along with great yep. production and then everybody catches up or overtakes them if they don't continue to develop and and so as a result is sometimes that I was I was that kid in high school I entered high school 5'11 130 140 pounds and I mean or 8th grade cuz we and where I live, grew up high school was 8th through 12th grade so you know when you're 8th grade 9th grade and you're the tallest kid in class and you're one of the bigger kids in class and then by you know 3 years later you're like in the middle of the pack and by the end of the by your senior year you're the same height you always you were before you just grew early and and everyone else is now six one, six two, 
you know, 180, 190, you're 165, you know, it's like that. I see that with college players all the time. It's like, it, it's like Craig Lumpkin, I think is a good example of that. Who was a running back for the, for the Packers, who was a five-star parade, all American went to Georgia, but he was like 5'10", 5'11", 220, you know, and looked unbelievable. And he was a good runner. He just never got quicker. He never got more explosive. Yeah, I mean, DJ Uyunglele, I think, is a perfect example. Master Teague was the top-rated uh, running back in his class. He's now, now, I mean, well, he was cut from the from the from the Steelers. Yeah, there yeah. are examples like that up and down, up and down the spectrum. And um, no, you got to keep, you got to either come in with outstanding athleticism so that they don't catch up to you. Yeah, uh, and I think Nick Singleton is is probably that example uh, on that on that spectrum as being just just super athletic. Um, uh, but you got to get better. Saquon Barkley is a good example. Saquon Barkley was a three-star prospect, ran a four-six-six, and a hundred seventy-something pounds. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Justin Jefferson ran a four-seven-eight uh, going into to LSU and was not the top-rated kid in his, in his class, even there at LSU. Yeah. So um, Josh Allen was like a yeah, and and Carson Wentz and I think Aaron Rodgers were all like short and undersized, and then had growth spurts. Yeah. Trey Lance's only uh, offer, I think, D1 offer was to play, or excuse me, I think he got an offer to walk on as a safety at Minnesota. Yeah. 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 So, the, you know, from a scouting perspective, it seems like it's more challenging to scout the college guys because of that unknown factor of growth, you know, the massive mm -hmm. amount of growth that's still there for them relative to the NFL where rarely do you see guys have that level of growth, you know, between like 22 and 23, 21 and 22, but 18, 18 to 20, that seems like you still are. That's like the difference still in, in for some people between 14 and 16. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jameer Gibbs, who's a top running back in this 2023 class, you know, has the athleticism, but comes in at 185 or, you know, so the question is, is, is he going to get to, to 200 pounds? I'm still not sure if he's, if he's there. I mean, they list him at 200 pounds there at Alabama, but as he might be barely skipping, they, he might have a feather on that, uh, on that weight scale to, yeah. to get him there. Um, but you know what, Matt, next year for your Debbie draft, you're going to have a free copy of the campus to Canton Debbie draft guide. And you're going to be, <laughs> you are going to be, you're going to be set. You're going to be set. That's good. Cause like I'm, cause you know, right now I, I've been relying on my own devices, which is like late in the game after I do the RSP and I'm going, all right, Kendall Milton, I'm hit or miss like Kendall Milton. I was high on him. I had a chance at B. John Robinson. I took Kendall Milton, not probably a good idea though. I like Kendall, but you know, um, who else was there? Marvin Harrison Jr. I think that one's going to work mm -hmm. out okay. Mm -hmm. You know, Nolan Smith. I think that one's going to work out okay. Mm -hmm. um, JT Daniels. Um, you know, not so sure about that. Well, if I can just plug our rankings here uh, again do. at Campus Scan, we have a freshman and supplemental draft guide. Uh, we have a Devi guide and a CFF guide. Anyway, in our Devi guide, uh, we had the number two, according to twenty four seven, the number two running back in the country was Emmanuel Henderson. Uh, a six foot two, 190 pound guy who you watch his high school tape, and all they did was use his athleticism, run him on jet sweeps, 
So we everything to the outside. I'm like, this guy is not really a running back. And so we had him, I think, in our second or third tier, not near the the uh, being a, the top running back in the class. When we released our guide, I got put. How could you guys have uh, Emmanuel Henderson ranked as lowly when you as you do when he's a five star running back going to Alabama? Well, where is he playing at Alabama now? Wide receiver. He's not playing. He is no longer in the running back room. So, um, yeah, yeah I mean, kudos to you kinda, guys. We take the the principles that we would apply to you know just evaluating uh, the rookie class going into the NFL. We kind of apply those same principles to the freshman class coming into college. That's awesome, and that makes sense because you're you know talking about looking at how are they being used and if they're used largely for their athletic ability and there's not a lot of technical or conceptual skill involved then you guys are like well he's lower on our list but if he's like high on the technical and conceptual skills but very low on the athletic level then you may have questions on that as well so that you you want to see both you know it's kind of like watching leonard fournette and go dude this guy could be a tight end but he's a monster of a running back so that's legit you know (laughs) Because that's the last time I watched a guy and I go, that dude's got an NFL body right now. And, <laughs> yeah. and he can catch. Oh my God. I like he caught more passes. He caught more passes in high school in New Orleans than he did at LSU. And I remember hearing everybody worrying about him at LSU. And it was like the only high school player I ever scouted high school tape to watch because I kept hearing so much about him. And I go, <laughs> he's like a he's a he <laughs> wow, he can catch. And so when everybody was like, Oh, he can't catch, I was like, Yeah, you, you don't know. You don't well, know. Well, Nick Nick Singleton, if, if you know, for those who are not paying attention to the college game, Nick Singleton is 2022's Leonard Fournette. So go ahead and pay attention to him there at, at Penn State. He was a monster uh, in the Pennsylvania, in the state of Pennsylvania, as a high schooler, a kid who, who came in with you know the man body that you, we talked about earlier, yeah. but he also came in running 22 miles per hour, which was uh, the fastest that we had wow. uh, tracked amongst amongst the, the freshman class, and now. I think he's had, I mean, he's had two or three uh, 100-yard games already. He's already one of the best players on that offense. So you're going to be, in Debbie drafts, he may already be selected. If he's not, he'll be the number one pick in your Debbie draft next year. Uh, so pay attention to Nick Singleton there at, at Penn State. Great advice. Is there anything else that you would add about the differences between scouting for NFL and college where, like, <laughs> From, you know, maybe somebody that makes a good college player, but not necessarily you look at him and go, well, I, I, I'm, we're going to be all over him in campus Canton leagues from the standpoint of using him during the college years. But once he hits that peak at, at whatever year, I might be strategizing how to sell him high. I think that we give more consideration to system and coach than you may um, uh, at the NFL level. Okay. Just for example, if a highly rated wide receiver goes to Michigan, or um, Georgia, quite frankly, or yeah. if a highly rated quarterback goes to one of those two programs, we don't know. We're, we're kind of, we might be a little bit more hands off of them. But when you have a skill position player who, who's highly rated and goes to a Penn State, where uh, Dwight Galt and Chuck Losey have developed over the years, you know, Sean Merriman, um, Jadavian Clowney, uh, uh, Parsons, you know, all. Yes, all of these these high level at 99th percentile athletes, we're going to be looking at those types of players with googly eyes. So, you know, we want to see quarterbacks go to quarterback friendly systems. So a quarterback playing with Lincoln Riley is going to be we're probably going to consider them uh, uh, higher than if they're going to play with Jimbo Fisher uh, down there at, at, at Texas A&M uh, because Riley has a 
a passing a pass friendly offense. Uh, he has the track record with the quarterbacks, and you know somebody like Jimbo doesn't, even though his Jimbo Fisher's class at Texas A&M may be highly ranked overall. The development of that particular position it just isn't there. So I think that we that's one thing is I say I would say that we give more consideration to the landing spot and the system. And then when that system changes, like it did for Tyler Van Dyke, it's like, all right, now, now it may be this, this off season may be the time to sell before that value takes a dip, uh, given that there's a different, uh, a different scheme, different coach there that doesn't uh, uh, mesh as well with the player. This is so fascinating to have a conversation about because it really underscores how narratives drive NFL draft media. And this is why, like, I love to ignore most. This is the most I've heard about players in years talking with you. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I'm glad I'm doing it now because so, you know, like I, I trust what Felix has to say and what he goes on, but I've learned in my years to now to have conversations where I just kind of like, I have my process set so I can listen to it and entertain it but also know that if I, I'm confident enough in what I see that right or wrong with what I think, I'm still going to go through my process and form my opinion based on doing that. But what's fascinating, but it's fascinating to like listen to this and go, okay, well, when they do go to Jimbo Fisher and they have a high draft class or Georgia and Georgia has one of the great recruiting classes every year, you know, and they're ranked in the top three or Texas or different schools. What you have to discern is, do these schools use these players as athletes who dominate because they're athletes or do they use them as players who fit into the system well and which positions do that well? Because I've kind of intuited that myself. Like I'll look at Alabama quarterbacks and I'll find that it's not logo scouting necessarily, but I find that year after year, I still evaluate them as if I'm, I don't, care what school they went to i'm looking at them on my criteria but i find more often than not there's a lot of these players who i go wherever school they're at i go well this guy's an athlete and they're just expecting him now to athlete people they're scheming everything to him to get the ball in his hands early in space they're not asking him to run a lot of the route tree they're not he's not facing press he's not dealing with a lot of option routes he's not asked to like yeah. diagnose a lot so maybe he can do it but there's a lot to prove here so that's a that's a big concern compared to someone like Jerry Judy who I look at and go he may not be the next Antonio Brown and didn't believe that but I think Reggie Wayne like could he be like in that archetype of player and aspiring for that yes and then you see that very early and you see how he plays and you go that's a guy who has nfl caliber technical skills you know mm -hmm. and and the athletic ability maybe that's oversold a bit but it's still like good more than good enough in the nfl but that's the thing that i think people have to be careful about and that's why like i'm not big on the soap opera of draft stuff because all the things you just underscored with all these players, parade all Americans, you know, five star yeah. athletes starting off strong and clean up in games. And then you and then, you know, everyone's talking about them and and they're talking about how great they are. And then people go, well, and, and if you're the average fan, 
you're reading this and then you see them getting scrutinized heavily in January before the draft in February. Right. And they're going, well, they were great beforehand. Why is everybody going up? This is just, you know, either you take it as the blooms come off the rose and that's true or they're nitpicking, you know, and sometimes it's a little bit of both or it's understanding mm-hmm. where it comes from. And so the, a lot of what you're talking about is really helpful, I think, to our listeners because it gives them a perspective to go, Here's what they're here's what they're about. Here's where the here's where the hype is. But yeah. here's what here's what you kind of need to see. Here's what and I, I think that our game requires that you go find the players who the media is not talking about. Because in campus Cantley's, you know, you got twelve teams, you got forty five man rosters, and if you don't have that pipeline of college players, then you are going to your NFL team is not going to be looking good very long. So you have to go find Michael Penix Jr., who I still want to talk about. You got to go yes. find a Mayan, uh, a Mayan Williams, who's backing up Travion Henderson, the one who is the parade All-American and everything. A Zach Wilson, who, you know, in his in his uh, sophomore season um, uh, was, you know, just a kind of middling level quarterback. You got to go find and, pook and, and pull these guys, which required you to go actually watch them, you know, to go beyond just box score, Scott. Like, you know, to get into Michael Jr. a little bit, yeah, like, please. I see this guy who who um, uh, unseated an incumbent at a program that's not necessarily known for producing. I mean, the last good player that Indiana might have produced is what Antoine Randall L. Yeah. So, um, uh, but but you know, I'm watching him be aggressive and throw the ball downfield as he's getting punched in the mouth, like his, the pocket is collapsing around him. He is not scared just has no fear um so you have to to find uh uh players players like this i don't know what michael appendix jr is you know if if he's going to i don't know if the i actually don't know if the media is talking about him but he's he is a favorite of mine because quarterback's the one position on the football field where you can't actually protect yourself you can't protect yourself because you, you can't drop your eyes because you got to keep your eyes downfield. And, you know, uh, uh, you have to maintain your fundamentals and your mechanics when you're throwing that ball. So you have to do all of that while you're not protecting your, yourself and deliver that ball. And it's that is hard to do. Some people can't do it. Some people can't step up in the pocket when they're about to take a hit and to deliver the ball down. Jimmy Garoppolo. He... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. 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 But but Michael Penix Jr. can. Um, he was just a player that kind of stood out to me before the 2020 season and, and then had a, a, a good season that season before he went out with an injury as a, as a player that's been injured. That includes a, a um, 30, what, 35 to 42 loss against oh, an Ohio State team where he's overmatched. They were down 28-7 at the half. But I mean, just continues to just when the pocket is bearing down with him, right in the middle, pe- pressure right in his face. He is finding um, uh, players down the field, and I threw, you, I, I sent you some of those, sent you some of those, cl- some, yeah. some of those clips. Um, just a, a tough player who has had some injuries. 2021 wasn't really good, and those he transfers to Washington, and he reconnects uh, with his old offensive coordinator, Kalen DeBoer, and he's doing it again. But this time he's being protected. He's being protected. So he's leading the country. He's leading the country in passing, and he has Washington ranked in the top ten. They've got a, a good matchup this Friday 
um, against UCLA. So stay up and, and watch that game. But um, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, Michael, you've got to go like find players like Michael Penix Jr. that people aren't necessarily talking about uh, around the country, but you say, hey, this guy's, you know, Indiana's overmatched when they play Michigan, when they play Ohio State. But this guy is giving this team fits. This guy is giving them everything that they can handle and is, is um, uh, uh, being consistent, well, somewhat consistent with with pressure all around him. So, I mean, I think that he's got some skill. And that's, and that's the cool thing is that you have to understand that, you know, you think about draft media not knowing. I mean, you know, Logan Thomas was a top-ranked quarterback yeah. to begin yeah. the season and then was, you know, basically drafted in late in, in day three by the beginning of the year. And that happens every year. And that's the whole thing. That's, you know, there's, there is, it's important to be able to talk about players, but no one can realistically uh, alone can watch like underclassmen and, and, <laughs> and the, and the, the upperclassmen and go, I can tell you, I mean, Listen, I mean, and and like I'll give credit to Dane Brugler. Dane Brugler does fantastic work, you know. But at the same time, you know, he would be the first to tell you, you know, when I have to give my when I have to give you my draft rankings, you know, in May for the following class, they're going to change a great deal because mm -hmm. eventually you're going to see players that, and you're going to, you know, I talk to Chad Ryder on a regular basis at NFL.com, and he. He was basically Dane Brugler's predecessor at CBS Sports for a long time, and you know, Chad sends me his list of uh, of players sometimes that he does bios on and just uh, and gives a cursory look. And we when we talk about players later in the year, just to to chop it up, you know, we approach it from different standpoints, you know, in terms of how we watch, and we know that. So, but it's fun because like I like looking at his stuff to see like when he talks to me about like who are players that are on the radar right now so that I know mm -hmm. like who's on or off the radar. So sometimes, and that's all I usually get from him is like just to see where players on the radar and where the NFL is kind of seen where the player is. I'm, and that's only been recently that I've seen some of that. So it gives me an idea if like I'm, cause sometimes I'll watch guys and there were many years where I'll watch players and, no one's talking about that guy. And I'm going, I really like this guy. And everybody's like, who? And sometimes they're still going who right now. And then sometimes they find out later. But like to me, Christopher Brooks out of the BYU yes. running back out of Cal. Yeah. I like Christopher Brooks. I mean, I think, I don't know if he's like the next CJ Anderson, but I think there's something there that he could be. He could be that kind of player, you know, the same way I like Tyson Williams after he transferred, you know, twice mm -hmm. in different in different ranges or another player that, you know, um, Phoenix Sproles, who's a wide receiver out of North Dakota State, who I talked about last yes. week. You, you know, there's players. I don't think like, you talked about him on on air. I think uh, that was oh, off. I think that was off air. That was off air, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, he's a yeah. he's yeah. a player that I, I watched a couple years ago with Trey Lance and thought. This guy's good, and me and Mark were talking about him because we kept noticing him on tape when we were studying um, Trey Lance together for an RSP film room. So you, you know, it it's fun in that respect to to see where you know to to look for these players and know that the NFL media machine can only it's a big ship and it can't make hairpin turns. 
So mm-hmm. you may find yourself in a lot of situations because of Felix and the team that's at, at Campus to Canton. You know, you're going to find players, or if you study them on your own like myself, you're going to find players that they're just behind the game on because there's only so many hours in the day. You know, so that's the great thing. So go, this was a fantastic conversation as always, you know, go check out campus to Canton. They, you know, get a league there, you know, check out their draft work, check out their, their Debbie work. You can find Felix Sharp on Twitter at Sharp Review. You can find me at Mount Waldman. Of course, you can go to MountWaldmanRSP.com. I am doing an update to my dynasty projections and rankings this week. Should be out Friday probably getting started or uh, on some of the things that I need to do to wrap it up um, for the next couple of days. Um, and of course there's the RSP pre-draft post-draft. Uh, um, that's still available um, at mountwaldman.com. And on behalf of Felix and myself, thank you for listening. We really appreciate the good feedback and uh, you guys have a good week. <laughs>